Could that possibly be true, that the greatest gift of all is an empty tomb? I wonder if you'd want to join me in thanking our choir and our worship leaders and the instruments. They've been here since early this morning, four services. We've had great worship. And we want to dismiss our children, the little ones up through grade four, to be able to go now to the teachers who are ready for them to help them know about Jesus Christ on this Easter morning. And we're awfully glad that you're here, friends. Pastor Mark, you still okay, brother? Amen. <laughs> Amen. I think I've probably watched that video 25 times this week. You know why? Today, around the world, there's going to be hundreds of millions of us in all different kinds of churches, in all the countries, because it's Easter Sunday. But by the time we get to this afternoon, and if you're a basketball fan and you're wondering, is Duke going to take care of Louisville, or how's that going to go in the journey to the Final Four, or by the time we get to tomorrow, and it's back to work, and by the end of next week, what difference does Easter really make? Isn't that really the question? Because if all this is is just uh, 75 people uh, practicing all week to sing wonderful music, it's got to be more than that. Don't, don't you agree? Is Easter empty just nonsense? You know that the Bible is the place where you find the story of Easter. And you may know that there were four of the men who wrote the Bible who give us the story. Two of them were disciples of Jesus, Matthew and John. But the one that I've been reading this week, Dr. Luke, a Greek physician, he wrote it. Doctors do good investigation, don't they? And he tells us that early that Easter morning, women came to the tomb. What women? How did they know their way to the tomb? Well, the Gospels tell us that there were several women along with the disciples who followed Jesus. And some of them had followed Jesus all the way to the hill where he was crucified. They'd stood there and they'd watched him die on the cross. They'd watched two men, Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, take his body down and wrap his body. They'd followed them all the way to the place where they put his body in a new tomb that had never been used. And they rolled the stone in front of that tomb. And then they went home for the night. The next day they prepared some spices, and that's why early the following morning they went before daybreak back to that tomb. I don't know who they thought was going to roll the stone away for them, but when they got there, Dr. Luke tells us, the stone was already rolled away from the mouth of the little cave. Amazed, shocked, they didn't turn and run. They stepped forward. Dr. Luke tells us they looked in the tomb and they saw the body was gone, but the wrappings... The claws that had been around the body were still there. Amazed, in shock, suddenly two men appeared in front of them, gleaming, shining, angels. And Dr. Luke tells us in that 24th chapter of his account that the angels said to the men, to the women, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Remember what he told you. He said that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men. He'll be crucified, and on the third day, he'll rise again. They did remember, and they went back to tell the disciples and the other women what they had experienced. And Dr. Luke tells us that uh, those who heard did not believe. 
because the words seemed like nonsense. Do you suppose that today around the world there's going to be maybe as many as millions of people who will sit in churches and listen to the music and listen to the words and say, it's nonsense, this Easter story. Peter, uh, one of the disciples, Dr. Luke tells us, he got up and he went to see for himself. He ran to the tomb and bending over he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves. Nobody was there. And he went away wondering to himself what had happened. How many millions of people will walk away from services like this all around the world today wondering, what was that all about? Could that really make some difference? May I suggest to you, I've wrestled with that many times in my life. Is the Easter story really true? I've been to Israel. I've looked at this tomb that, that is there that, that some say might be the tomb. But the bigger question is, what difference does it really make, true or not true? Could it really affect your life and mine significantly? I want to tell you, yes, it can, because it's changed my life and the lives of many of the people sitting in this room. And today, the God who raised Jesus from the dead would like to to unleash resurrection power in your life and mine. Do you agree with that? And bring change, hope, help into your life. But it brings you to a point of asking the question, can I believe that God and God's Word are true? So I, I've jotted down for you in your worship folder, there's some, some things that God has said to ask us the question, could it be true? Uh, for instance, uh, the Bible starts and Jesus says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Uh, later in the Bible, God said to the prophet Isaiah, look up into the heavens. Who made all this? God answered his own question, I did. It, is that just nonsense or, or could that be true? I appreciate the fact that we live in an area where there's an observatory. I like going up there once in a while, and I snapped that picture this week. Supposedly, my great-grandfather more than 100 years ago helped to build that place. It's been there for 100 years calling out to the people of our area, look up. That building only has one purpose. Inside, as you know, is a big telescope that looks out way beyond what you can see with your naked eye and asks the question, how did it all get there? How does it stay in perfect order? God answers the question. I did that. That's my fingerprint out there. God also says there in the early part of Genesis, let's make man in our image. So God created man, male and female, in his image. He said to the prophet Jeremiah, and Jeremiah wrote it down, before I formed you in your mother's womb, I knew you. David writes in Psalm 139, God, I'm overwhelmed that you knit me together in my mother's womb. I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. We live in a part of the country, and most people do, where there's hospitals and, cl hospitals and clinics. That one is right around the corner from my house. 
I'm grateful that there are people, uh, maybe some of you, who have dedicated your lives to study the human body, your doctors, your nurses, your specialists, and you help us when it's not working right. But where did we come from? I love the fact that every day in this county, babies are born. One of them was brought up to me after the first service, birthed at 24 weeks. 24 weeks! They've prayed over that baby, and doctors and nurses have done everything they could, and from what they can tell, that baby is now perfectly healthy. Is it true that God reaches into the wombs of women and somehow guides a little sperm and an egg, and they come together, and God reaches in there and conceives life, and one cell becomes two, becomes four, becomes eight, and pretty soon there's hearts, and there's eyeballs, and there's fingernails, and there's you. (laughs) And God says, yeah. You are a fingerprint of mine. I made you in my image. And life begins at the moment of conception. Truth or nonsense? You just somehow happened inside your mother's womb. God says, I, the Lord, speak the truth. I declare what is right. So the psalmist said, God, teach me your way and I'll walk in your truth. Jesus, when he was here, he said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Is that true? Does God define truth? Really? Most of you know that two weeks ago today, I was on the far side of the world in a communist nation. I'd gone there where it is against the law for you to practice any kind of religious activity unless you are registered with that government. I went there especially to visit with folks who are worshiping in what they call underground churches, against the law churches, unrestricted by the government. And I visited a family, and in their home I saw something on the wall, and I snapped a picture. It's the Ten Commandments in the language of that place where I was. And I said, why do you have this on your wall? Aren't you afraid of the government? They said, we have it on our wall because it's truth. It's God's truth. Whatever the government says, this is God's truth. Maybe you need to have a few more people in your country that hang it on your wall, they said. Yeah, maybe we do. God says, the man will leave his father and his mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. Genesis 2. And I realize that this week there's been a debate in the Supreme Court about marriage. (laughs) We respect the Supreme Court, of course. They're wise men and women who've been given the responsibility to analyze the laws of our land and make sure that it fits well with the constitution of our land. But have you thought about the fact that once you leave the borders of this country, the laws of our land and the Supreme Court mean nothing in any other country? Would you agree that God is the one who made male and female and brought them together as husband and wife? And God says... Define it however way you want it. I made it. Marriage is a man and a woman. And children come from that, and that's a family. Huh? God says, there's no God apart from me, a holy God and a Savior. Turn to me and be saved, all you peoples of the earth. No matter where you go in the world, there's religions In every place, all kinds of religions, and religions have their purpose to help people find their way to God. Uh, On my way to Asia, I stopped by Hong Kong. Seven million people living in an area about the size of Walworth County. Think about that. 
My sister lives on the 17th floor of one of those buildings. <laughs> Any window in her apartment, you look out, there's buildings all around you. Seven million people. Lots of religions practiced there. I left there and I went to the country where I spent those days and I was eating in a little restaurant and I snapped this picture. Tucked up in a corner, a little idol of a man and, and a, some, some incense things and a little candle that's burning. All kinds of religions and yet God is saying, I'm God and there is no other. And I'll help you find your way to me because I'm coming to you. And that's why Jesus, when he was here, he was celebrating the fact that an angel had said, I'll bring you good tidings of great joy who will be for all the people. Today a Savior has been born to you and he's Christ the Lord. God came here, right? In the person of Jesus Christ, wrapped himself in flesh and lived among us and spoke God's truth. Is that truth or is it nonsense? Is it just a reason for an annual Christmas party? And while he was here, Jesus explained why he was here. I have come to seek and to save the lost, he said. The people who are lost in the despair and the hopelessness of not being able to find their way, the brokenness of their lives, the despair of no hope for tomorrow, and the fear of what lies beyond the grave. I've come to help you with that, Jesus said. I've come to give my life as a ransom, a rescue for many. For those who believe I am who I claim to be. Jesus came for the purpose of rescuing us from the death grip of sin, my friends. And he said, I didn't come to judge the world, for God so loved the world that he sent me. He gave his only son that whoever believes in me will not perish. That doesn't mean die. Perish means eternal separation from God in that hopeless state of despair. Jesus had come to rectify that, and so he had said, I'm going to Jerusalem. We talked about that last week. A and when I arrive there, I will be betrayed. I'll be mocked and beaten, and I'll be killed. But on the third day, I'll rise again. Huh? All of those statements, may I suggest that you and I have the privilege of wrestling with them. Truth, nonsense, it doesn't matter. May I suggest to you this Easter that if we're going to move from nonsense or it doesn't matter to it matters a great deal, in fact, it's the most important thing in life, it starts with a step, a decision, an important one. Will I trust God and God's truth, His Word, to be true in my life? And will I live my life with God as my sovereign or will I continue to insist I want it my way all the time and disregard God? May I suggest to you humbly that this weekend is in fact the most important weekend in all of human history. Did you see what I wrote for you on the front of your worship folder? This is it, the most important weekend in the history of our planet. The events involving Jesus Christ this weekend, nearly 2,000 years ago, are the hinge point of eternal destiny for every human being. Yet Jesus' own disciples called it nonsense when they first heard the news. So what about you? Is it nonsense? Or is it the foundation of what God is offering you and me, a new life? Resurrection Sunday is celebrated because 
Jesus rose from the dead. He had died on what we call Good Friday. And may I suggest to you that the way he died was actually two deaths in one. Yes, he died a physical death just like you and I and every other living, breathing human being is going to die. He died that way in a horrible way. He had been rejected by the human race that he had come to love and to save. He'd been beaten to a pulp. He'd been handed over to professional Roman executioners who did it for a living. They knew exactly where to put the nails and how to hang a man like a side of beef on a cross. As the blood drained out of him, he was dying physically. But he had said, no one is going to take my life. I will give my life voluntarily as a sacrifice. See, he had taken upon himself the hatred of humanity, the rejection of humanity, the hatred of Satan who hates God and what Jesus was trying to accomplish. But he had also taken upon himself the sins of the world. God had placed on him your sin and mine, and so God poured out upon him God's wrath for sin, for the wages of sin is death, God says. And so his death took your place and mine when he paid for our sin. Do you see that, my friends? That's why at the end of those hours as he hung on the cross, he finally said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. After he had said, it is finished. I've accomplished it all. I've paid the full price. But he also died a spiritual death. You see, as God placed your sin and mine upon him, that sin separated Jesus from God the Father for the first time ever. Just like your sin and mine separates you and me from God. Oh, you, you might sing the songs. You might even be in the choir or the orchestra to help lead the songs. But unless something's been done with the problem of your sin... It separates you from God. You can't possibly have a relationship with him. And unless that problem is taken care of, if you die in that condition, you'll spend all of eternity perish apart from God. That's why Jesus took the sin upon him and it separated him in that moment from the Father. In that deep anguish that Jesus was feeling as God had turned away because he carried upon him your sin and mine, he cried out, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me, forsaken me? He was feeling that separation like never before. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit, he said. He trusted the Father in that agonizing, terrible moment. But his resurrection... His resurrection, yes, was a physical, miraculous resurrection as God uh, took a, a broken, battered body and reunited it with the soul, the spirit of Jesus. And he healed that body as he resurrected it. And how many times did Jesus say, it's really me, come, touch, look? The scars were there. He even said, let's eat together. For 40 days he showed himself the risen Christ to many people to prove that the physical healing had really taken place. But God also restored him in an amazing way spiritually. That sin that had separated father and son was removed and they were reunited. And then the Lord Jesus Christ, when he was ascended back into heaven, 
reigns victorious and sovereign and all of his glory restored to him. He took his place seated at the right hand of the throne of God in full authority. Do you know why? So that today, this Easter, anywhere around the world, where one or 50 or 100 or a million people would cry out, God, help me. I realize the despair of my sin, and I can't do anything about it, so I'm crying out, please, God, save me. Jesus, the risen Jesus, is able to say to the Father, do you hear the cry, Father? I paid this sin price for that person. He can be forgiven. He can be reconciled and restored into relationship. That's why one of our theme verses here at Calvary for this year is, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. And God is the one who does all this as he reconciles us to himself with the sin having been taken care of. Amen? That's new life in Christ. And he places within us his Holy Spirit so we live every day the rest of our lives in restored relationship with Almighty God. That's why I wrote for you at the bottom of my notes there in your worship folder, moving from nonsense to new life in Christ is a miraculous, God-accomplished resurrection in you. As I turn from my self-reliance and I trust Jesus Christ to save me from my sin condemnation, God applies Jesus' atonement death to my sin debt and he pardons me. Then God applies Jesus' victorious resurrection to me and he births a new spiritual life in me. I'm born again and I become a new creation in Christ. I'm living a restored relationship with the holy God who made me. Eternal new life has begun for me. Now, all that sounds wonderful, but what does it look like in real practical living. I, I wish I could take this microphone and walk up and down every aisle and say, so tell me your story. How has God made this huge difference in your life? Who wants to go first? Well, I've already picked somebody. Larry and Becky, would you come please? Larry and Becky Wassell. This is a dear couple who's a dear friend of mine. And Resurrection Sunday has made such a huge difference in their lives. Step right up here, would you, Larry? Tell me about your family. You have how many children? We've got two children. Um, Anison is six, and Natalie's our youngest, and she's three. Don't you love being a daddy of little oh, yeah. girls? <laughs> Amen. I remember those days well. Hard to keep up. But God's done something pretty special in your lives, and you and your dear wife, Becky, have opened your hearts to something much bigger than that. Would you tell us? Yeah, we, um, last summer we, uh, we moved into the Agape house in Walworth and became the, the house parents for the the teen girls that live there. So we've got 10 girls between the ages of uh, 14 and 18 living with us. Now, just in case there's someone who doesn't know about Agape House, what does that mean, what you just said? The Agape House, is a, it's a home and a school in Walworth, and um, it was built to um, basically be a safe place for hurting teenage girls. Um, many of them are from our county, and some come from as far away as uh, a little south of Chicago, but they're girls who have just come from um, tough home environments and just had stuff happen to them and they need a, a safe place to, to be or go to school. So a dear couple with two little girls of your own and you feel as though the power of Easter Sunday and the resurrected Jesus Christ calls you to move into the <clears throat> Agape house and be house parents 
to 10 teenage girls who, because of the complexity of their own homes, it's not safe for them to be at home. Wow. How are you doing with that, Mom? Oh, man. Um, we have our good days and our bad days, obviously. Of um, but absolutely, you have to be in the Word, and you have to really rely on the strength of God every single day, every moment, because if you don't, I mean, you will fall apart. It is yeah. hard. It's difficult. But it's incredibly rewarding at the same time. Yeah. The rewards outweigh the, the trials yeah. by far. Yeah. Have you seen the resurrected Jesus Christ doing some changes in you and in some of those girls? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, he is stretching us <laughs> a lot, but we are, you know, it's, it's a process. And I see several of the girls. I've seen a couple of the girls accept Christ since they've been in the home. Wow. And I've seen major differences from, you know, walking around with, you know, their hair and their face slumped over, won't look at you, to standing up straight, taking, you know, coming to church, bringing their Bibles, reading their Bibles, asking yeah. questions, inviting family members to church. It's amazing. Absolutely amazing. I have no doubt you've dealt with things like cutting and drugs and alcohol and all kinds of stuff. And all you kinds see of the, things, yes. And it's only the resurrection power of God that can make those kinds of life changes, isn't it? Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's only the resurrection power of God that can give you the strength, the two of you, Amen. every day to wake up in <laughs> the morning. That's right. We do not do it on our own strength at all whatsoever. Wow. That we would fail miserably. <laughs> Would you join me in praising God for a courageous couple who's living the Easter story? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, dear Becky. Now, Lord Jesus Christ, I could probably take this microphone and walk all through this room. And there's people I know in this room, God, who have experienced the physical healing power of God. There's people in this room who had received the word from the doctors, we can't do anything more and they cried out to you, and you have unleashed your resurrection power in their lives, and they're living evidence of your healing power. There's people in this room whose marriages had fallen apart. They had already filed papers for divorce, and you stepped in in response to their cry for help, and you've healed their marriage. There's a lot of people in this room whose hearts have been broken by the horrible things in our world. And you've brought healing to broken hearts, hundreds of broken hearts in this room. So what about it, dear friends, right now, right where you're sitting? We're delighted that you've trusted us with the last hour of your time. Are you ready for God to unleash his resurrection power into your life? Whatever the need might be, right where you're sitting, in the quietness of this moment, why don't you just invite him? Invite God to unleash that resurrection power into your life. Just acknowledge to him that you can't do it on your own. You desperately need God's help. Celebrate the fact that Jesus is who he claimed to be, God incarnate, that his death on the cross paid your sin debt price. And his resurrection proved his victory over sin and Satan and death. And he reigns now ready to help you. God, I thank you that no matter what's going on in any person's life in this room, it's not too big for you. God, I praise you for Easter Sunday and all that it means. And I'm inviting you, please, God, to do that powerful work in my life.
and in these my friends who are talking to you right now. We thank you that you, God, are a truthful God and that your word is truth. We embrace it as we sing this closing song in this Easter Sunday. In Jesus' name.